Welcome to Defa, episode 16. Here we are with Mr. Malcolm Sparks. Hello, Malcolm. Yeah, hi, Ray. Hi, PJ. Hello, Malcolm. So it's Ray McDermott here from Belgium. And I'm uh, Vijay from Holland. Where are you from, Malcolm? I'm from London, and I'm currently in Milton Keynes, in the office. <laughs> Still working hard. Working hard, working late, yeah. <laughs> On a Sunday. You're doing some, is, it, is this your open source day? <laughs> we still have about 400 conference beers from the, the XD16 conference, so it's a, it's a nice place to come on Sunday night. No, I'm joking. Okay. I'm never here. I only came here because I, I need to get away from the, the, the kids because if uh, we were at home, they would be coming in every five minutes. And Anyway. <laughs> and we'll have more special guests on the show. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They're very special. <laughs> All right, fantastic, cool. So, so Malcolm, so uh, let's just uh, get stuck right in then. Um, so, what was the uh, the journey to enlightenment then? What were you doing before closure, and how did you get to uh, the parens? Ah, well, my road to closure. Uh, I was working on a Java project in a bank, and we were uh, going to create something new. But we were we were working on this big distributed Java system using coherence. And I had a friend there who was using Groovy, and he was using Groovy to create a, a kind of REPL experience into this distributed system. And it was really, really good. And I thought, well, I'd love to have that level of interaction. And I was already playing around with a scheme called Cower and creating a build system with it. So I was really into getting back into Lisp, you know, used okay. Lisp back in the day and uh, getting back into it and just wished there was a, a good Lisp on the, the JVM. And one came along. So I got into it first. And then uh, as soon as there was an excuse to kind of write this REPL for a new distributed system, I said, yeah, we've got we to gotta do this, but let's not use Groovy. Let's use Clojure. And because it was only one little tiny thing, people said, yeah, that would be okay. And then we gradually uh, wrote the web front end with it. And it wasn't too long before Clojure became, well, making inroads into the Java app. So there's more closure, less Java. And then we got a chance to write a, a, an application from scratch called Fandango, which was one of the, you know, to meet one of the problems, the support problems in the bank. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we built it in about two weeks and it went sort of live, kind of non-official live. Um, yeah. And, <laughs> uh, it was very popular and very successful and it's still running now. So uh, okay. that was uh, a good experience about how you can create stuff pretty rapidly with Clojure, and uh, it's pretty reliable. But how did you, uh, was um, at, at that time you were working with the bank itself, or, or were you as a consultant? Or I was, uh, I, I was working for the bank full time. Yeah, I was a, okay, yeah. but how did you convince them to say, okay, I'm going to try to build something in a different language? Because usually banks are like one of those uh, very hard to change your heart, you know, the resistance to changes is very high. Yeah, it was a, it was a combination of doing something that was non-critical, but doing something that absolutely couldn't be done in Java. Oh. Um, so it, okay. we wanted to create, a, you know, build a REPL on top of an existing Java system. Uh, so it had mm. to be kind of something dynamic. Um, mm. And then comparing how quick it was to build websites in Clojure as opposed to Java. And then uh, sort of a management thing where my manager... Uh, left and went to join another team, and they needed some other manager. So I put my hand up and said, oh, "I'll be the manager." Yeah, uh, and so <laughs> <laughs> then you could set the direction. 
<laughs> yeah, I was the only I was the only volunteer, so uh, and then it was all Excel sheets from there. Yeah, well, instead of yeah. instead of IDEs. Yeah, there were upsides <laughs> and downsides with that. <laughs> okay. So how long did you uh, stick with uh, with the closure in the bank? Because I know that uh, you and uh, John were also. I think he was in a different bank, wasn't he? Yeah, he was in a he was in a different bank. I I, I stuck there for it was about three years. I started. Mm. Um, doing some stuff in 2009 got really serious in 2011 that was when we built this uh you know this uh support system um and then at the end of 2012 um yeah things were uh, things were changing in the bank and decided to move on um got in Mm. touch with john uh we started going to lunch every week to talk about closure in banks and then one thing led to another and we decided to start a, a company excellent so, and that company was Juxt, if I remember rightly. Yeah, I, I was going to call it something like Simplect or something. John said, no, that's a rubbish name. We'll call it Juxt. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's a nice, nice, nice function, right? I mean, you have, you have all these people as the first parameter, like changing code, and then you have a list of programs coming in, and then you convert them using Clojure, and then you get different yeah. set of programs. So yeah. that's, a, that's a nice... Um, Nice name for a closure company, at least. Yeah, it's, it's uh, kind of a quirky function in closure yeah. company at closure yeah, core, yeah. and we're we're a kind yeah. of quirky fu- company. So. <laughs> Fantastic. So it was just you and John initially. Yeah, well, yeah, it was. Uh, um, and, okay. Uh, initially, uh, you know, I, I went off and did a, a you know worked for a, a startup, um, mm-hmm. a, a job I would have got if you know just contracting really, but I decided to go through Juxt and. Uh, and, and John picked up a, a contract at uh, the, the Mail Online, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, <clears throat> was instrumental in that for, in Mail Online's decision to refurbish their website in Clojure. And, yeah, uh, and that was really kind of what got us really started because you know everybody has heard of the Mail Online. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then you, what did you do then? You, you, you basically uh, from the. From those other beginnings, you just brought as you as you needed more people, juxt added more people to the staff, or I guess with a blend of the of the of the company staff as well. Well, it, you know, we got we really got a break with uh, with uh, an old colleague of John's who approached John and said, "Look, I, I really need you to get back into this property portal business because we want to build a property portal. Uh, we've got we've got to build it by." Uh, in in ten months, and we've we've got nothing. And uh, would you would you build us this thing? And and uh, John said, yeah, but I'm I'm not going to build it in Java. I, I will only write it in Clojure, which is kind of a brave thing. And they mm. went away, and I think a couple of weeks later, they came back and said, well, okay, we, we've looked up Clojure. Looks looks okay. And um, go ahead. And so we built a team. Uh, you know, John John and I built a team together, mm. and uh, about seven or eight people. And uh, and started well, I, I, you know, the, there were different individuals involved, but it got up to about seven or eight people, and uh, that became on the market.com, which was hmm. built. And we, I mean, I wasn't too involved in it, but John and his team did a great job, and they they delivered hmm. on time and uh, uh, did an amazing job. Yeah, okay. and now you've got conferences and all this other stuff. So, what's the state of Jux at the moment? Yeah, we've just released. Uh, our first, I think it was a promo video that we got we got done. Oh. Um, 
showing the XD16 conference. I think John put that up last week. So okay. um, we'll, we'll that, put a link to that then. Yeah. 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 yeah that was our uh, experiment into uh, having our own conference and um, we really enjoyed it. It was a good experience. It was a bit fraught. It was uh, a lot of work. Much. It was kind of one of those ideas that was was really in a pub talk. Let's do our own conference, and yeah, yeah that's yeah, a great yeah. idea. <laughs> We've been at conferences. Yeah. <laughs> Can't be that hard. Yeah, it's just getting people together, isn't it? I mean, yeah. that's it. So it, it was a it was a lot of fun. We were very lucky. We had good weather. We had great food, great supplies. We had a mm. fantastic event organizer that that really helped us. So yeah, um, yeah, we we just sort of. Uh, managed to to wing it, and it went yeah. went okay. Cool. Maybe we should get into the more interesting stuff. The more so, interesting um, stuff. This is already interesting, VJ. <laughs> that, that's why I said more. <laughs> I, I, I added a qualifier there just to uh, just to You're avoid. Uh, shitless, you know, people, Malcolm. Now let's talk about the saying, web yeah, yeah, yeah. Company, etc., etc. Let's talk about code now. You know, yeah. enough of this stuff. Yeah, get all um, the fluffy stuff out the way. <laughs> anyway, so um, let, let's talk about one of the you know the the, the major project that open source uh, uh, framework slash library that that you released. So, um, what is the motivation behind it, and how did how did it, how did it come out? I mean, how did you uh, get to the idea? Because in in closure web development, we have different kinds of I don't say competing, but you know, different kinds of uh, libraries filling different niches, or, or like kind of community kind of settled down on composure-driven stuff, or at least some of them, I think. So, what was the, what was the primary uh, reason or motivation for Yada? Oh, well, the primary motivation for Yada was that we were uh, building on the market.com, and it was a, a review, I suppose, after uh, we went live. And uh, you know, I sat down. I, I was talking to Martin Troyer, um, and he was very keen on ensuring that you, you know, every web library has to be very defensive about what comes in, and there has to be uh, there has to be good parameter validation and four hundreds, which is you know, indicating to the client they made a validation error, and there has to be strong defenses against injection tax and all that all that good stuff, which was already done in Funhouse. Um, Mm. And I think some pedestal interceptors. Mm. Um, and then we had somebody else on the project. Uh, Frankie was very keen on swagger. And we had a bit of swagger in, on the market that actually mm. enabled the mobile, um, the mobile app uh, provider mm. to access and, and see our APIs and, and document them. Um, and then we had a bit of ring and composure and a bit of biddy and whole lot of different things in Composure mm. API too. And it was kind of, we had quite a lot of different uh, moving parts and it was a, an idea to consolidate. But at the same time, so that, that was one, um, one kind of checkbox, which was let's have something that can do parameter validation. Mm -hmm. uh, let's have something that can do swagger. And I was also trying to figure out how to make Liberator asynchronous. We had, mm. um, uh, David Hume uh, mm -hmm. had uh, contributed a pull request to Liberator maybe six months before that uh, to make it all asynchronous. And I don't think it, uh, Billy was able to accept the pull request for technical reasons. Mm -hmm. so that, that you know, that this was a, a kind of idea that we've been talking about making 
uh, an asynchronous liberator. So it, it was an experiment to try and start again, because when mm. you've got those three checkboxes, those three constraints, it's really hard to then build that on an existing library. So I, I just went and had a blank piece of paper, an empty namespace, and, and just started playing around and very, very quickly discovered Manifold, which was Zach Tillman's uh, asynchronous um, uh, library or kind of, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a lowest common denominator library. It's a kind of interface yeah. that allows different asynchronous implementations to plug in together. So I, I very quickly discovered the uh, deferred chain and started putting functions that could kind of link up asynchronously. Uh, and it was that discovery that really um, propelled, you know, the the direction of, of Yada. Okay. Yeah, it's good. I mean, I think because there was a lot of, um, I think at the time with uh, with async HTTP, there's a lot of motivation for that, isn't there? Because I think people look at uh, Ring. I mean, Pedestal, I think, had some async stuff, but it seemed to have lost its way a little bit, the Pedestal stuff. Um because uh, I don't know, the adoption rate wasn't very strong. Some of the documentation, I don't know if the people didn't work on it hard enough, but uh, there was a need for async stuff coming around uh, from the web teams in Clojure, especially after Core Async was out and people were interested in Node.js and all the kind of memory footprint type things that Node was claiming, Nginx, you know, so that whole model of like, uh, Block, non-blocking HTTP servers was definitely catching fire, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and Clojure was sort of late to the party because yeah. we were waiting a long time and sort of saying, well, async doesn't matter. We were on the JVM. We've got lots of threads. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, uh, Martin Troyer, I have to credit again for kind of explaining to me and, and through his blogs about what async really meant and what it was and the advantages of it. Um, so I, I was reading his blog one day and it kind of dawned on me um, but you know, to be fair to Pedestal, it, it, Pedestal came out before Core Async, and yeah. so then Core Async came out, and it, mm. it, they they had to refactor a lot, and they, I think that was still going on mm. uh, a couple of years ago, and it wasn't um, or it wasn't clear to me that they had actually uh, figured it out, or at least it, it, asynchronous um, interceptors is something you have to do explicitly in pedestal so mm. um you can do it and you can do it through core async um but i wasn't aware of how, how you did it i wasn't playing with pedestal at the time i you know i was yeah. aware of it i knew how it worked but i, I was kind mm. of uh yeah it, i i wasn't trying to build on pedestal yeah. yeah no i wasn't trying to criticize pedestal at all i mean i think for whatever reason it didn't it just didn't catch on i don't know you know I yeah, don't know also the was... pedestal at that time was also like a full batteries included sort of right. thing. It has the front end as well and the back end. I think after after we got enough of uh, uh, Clojure Script React uh, related things, um, Pedestal guys decided that there is no point in pursuing it as a part of the whole framework anymore. So that Pedestal became purely back end framework. Yeah. So ditching all the front end things. So I think the front end was. Um, well, I think it's it's one of the iterations of the ideas, isn't it? It's like you keep you you take an idea and then you iterate on it, and then new mm. things come in, and then they build up on on the lessons that we learned from from the previous one. Yeah. So that that that's what my view from Pedestal is. Anyway, um, so coming back to Yara, um, so this um, when when did you exactly start this project? By the way, yeah, it was uh, two when, two years ago. I think the first commit was about this time last, uh, in two years time. Uh, okay. Yeah. And and this is um, extracted from 
the um, code that you have written or just the ideas that that were taken from the work that you have done oh, so far yeah it was just it was a it, i started from scratch um, okay you know so it, so the patterns were there in different projects that you saw these these different uh, um, patterns in you, you applied for the on the market.com and other places yeah or? it was very much a, a kind of retrospective on yeah. a, a number of projects the primary one being the, the on the market project but uh, other projects that we've done with liberator um, yeah. yeah so one of the i think uh, critical things in a, in a web framework is essentially routing or routing yeah. i don't know is it routing for uh, british it's routing, yeah. yeah. Routing routing. Yeah. Routing yeah. for Americans, yeah. Okay, well, screw it. I'm from a British colony, or ex-British colony. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> let's, not, let's not get there. But anyway, um, so let's call it routing. So can, can you give us some idea about uh, how, how the routing works in, in Yada? I mean, how, how uh, like the bi-directional routing, you know, yeah, like I, URL generation? Yeah, I mean, there's there's no routing in, in oh. Yada, and that was an explicit decision. Yeah. Uh, and I got that idea from from billy who i, I spoke to at berlin uh, euro closure mm. in 2013 and i was asking him billy could you put you know when are you going to put routing because every web library has a router why doesn't liberate have a router and he, yeah. he was very clear about the uh, separation of concerns here that the uh, a web resource is one thing and the the name that or identity that a web resource has um mm. is another and you shouldn't confuse the two and if you want to simplify the web, you need to understand that these uh, identifiers for resources are com completely opaque strings. Mm -hmm. They don't actually have any meaning apart once you get beyond the, the scheme and the host and the port. The path is just a string. Mm -hmm. And um, so many web frameworks kind of get into looking at the path and breaking it up into segments and saying, well, this bit is some JSON uh, you know, resources and this bit is some HTML resources and this is some dynamic stuff. And uh, they they kind of, I don't want to use the word complete. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> but they do that. They, they kind of <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, God. He's imposing a vocabulary on everyone. <laughs> I, I think we need to we need to check the Google Zeitgeist or something. You know, they they publish that the trend of the words that are used on on the web. So complex was zero for some right, time, right, and then yeah. closure at one closure con suddenly everybody keeps saying complex. Yeah, yeah, right? you're not allowed to say it anymore. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's it. It braided the uh, things. I think braiding is allowed, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> 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 Complex is a bullshit word, isn't it? Because uh, no one's heard of it. But people have heard of uh, mixing and uh, yeah. you know, mixing concerns. And I yeah. think that's really well, what he means. So, so screw complex, but we'll go with mixing concerns um, because that's what you're really <laughs> talking about. So, um, well, so, I yeah, should so say that the, the, uh, Billy had another kind of key contribution, which is that he said, if there was a routing library, it should be a separate library and it should have this quality that it was bidirectional. Or yeah, isomorphic of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I completely agreed with that because uh, one of the things that is really common to, to writing websites is broken links and you have tests yeah. to make sure and, and people are always writing uh, libraries to kind of string concatenate links together and uh, it's a really uh, it's a thing that people do by hand and mm. they, they get it wrong or the URAs change or something and you get broken links. And uh, mm. that's one thing if you're a human and you're trying to click on a link and you get a kind of page not found, uh, 
But if you're a machine and you're trying to follow out some kind of financial transaction, then that's mm. a complete disaster. So mm. um, we felt it was complete. It was necessary to do something much, much better in that area. So do you want to just define what bidirectional means in that sense then? Because I, I think not everybody is familiar with, um, yeah. with, that, with that concept. Yeah, so bidirectional means that you have the URI and some algorithm that can look at that URI and turn it into a handler. That's, that's typically the routing aspect of it. And then there's another algorithm that take the, the handler and generate the URI which would target it, and that gives you a string. And now, of course, mm. um, when we do routing, we have these things like parameters, which are, uh, we, we might call them path parameters, which are mm. kind of variables within the URI. And so when we generate a URI that has a parameter in it, we need to result and give the value of that parameter in order to generate the, the URI again. And the yeah. reason it's important is because when we create a web response, we might want to indicate to the browser all the other uh, all the other links, all the other web resources that we might want them to go to. Um, we'll maybe talk about that later about that being a key aspect of REST. And mm, yeah. uh, if you can't do that very easily, then you don't bother. And if you don't bother, it's a shame. Well, let's come on to that then, because we we talk about REST and HTTP and Maybe it's this hypermedia as the engine of application state, and you know, I know when we were talking at uh, a Euro closure, um, you were very uh, motivated by this concept um, in general, and I think a lot of people that are real HTTP um, nerds or geeks or aficionados like yourself um, are very. Um, are very sworn to this uh, way of doing things, and, and yet for whatever reason, um, it's it's uh, it's not very strongly adopted. So, so what 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 can we say about that? What what, what do we want to talk about with um, this benefit of, of rest? Because a lot of stuff we're doing these is it's not according to most people, nothing is rest, you know, unless unless Roy Fielding says so, <laughs> and he doesn't say it very often. So, <laughs> I guess he won't say that Yada is rest. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? It's a, it's a fucking one-armed bandit as to what he says. But what do you say? Ah, uh, well, I know I'm, I'm trying to dig out a quote that I had from. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, there's a quote that I've got from Roy in one of his InfoQ interviews, and he said, "Rest was originally created to solve my problem. How do I improve HTTP without breaking the web?" It was an important problem to solve when I started rewriting the HTTP standard in 1994-95. So you've got all these people using the web, and it, the HTTP 1.0, yeah. uh, and they're having a great time. People are surfing, and you know, and lots of people building apps and businesses and stuff on it. Yeah. And this guy's kind of tasked with writing the next version, HTTP 1.1. Yeah. And he's got to—he's got this really difficult requirement. How do you not break? everybody else is fun how do you you know can he turn off the web and get people to adopt the new one <laughs> and uh, so he decided that wasn't palatable so he he came up with um i don't know if it was roy but i mean i, I think a lot of you know he would credit other people with these kind of ideas but um he distilled all these kind of things in his dissertation about how the web worked and how to keep it working 
And so when Roy sort of talks about what is rest and what it isn't, what, what he's really getting at is how do you put services out there that don't break the web? And, and I think that's a, a really valuable thing to do at an application level. How do you evolve an application, not a huge system like the web? How do you, how do you uh, evolve a service and keep all of your other clients who may be other businesses, uh, how do you keep them working? without breaking mm. them all the time. And that's something that we, we still struggle with in software, you know, and we struggle with that locally, let alone globally. So yeah. I, I think it's a really important problem to solve. But, well, maybe so you can say it another way, though. What, what is the actual problem? Um, because, you know, what's the problem with just um, putting out these APIs, you know, why, why, why isn't that a great enough answer? You know, people are doing all these APIs. No one's, no one's crying. No one's breaking the web. So yeah, what is the problem with soap? So, I don't understand. Exactly. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> well, the problem. <laughs> okay. Don't troll him. <laughs> no, but actually, but it doesn't really matter whether, I mean, one yeah. could argue that soap is a bit more annoying than Jason, but it doesn't seem like it's changed that much <laughs> in that respect, you know? <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, it's just a, a it's just is packets a of, of stuff. One of which is slightly yeah. more amenable to, to for us to read or to pause or whatever. But but the fundamental yeah, yeah. concept is 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 somewhat similar. But the problem with soap, of course, is that it was it was uh, it was not verb based. You know, yeah. it didn't use the HTTP um, contract. Is that is that what we're kind of talking about here? Is to reuse the the web verbs? I think we're talking about how brittle an interface is. If it's mm. if it's very sensitive to like some soap contracts are very sensitive to the parameter types, and the, uh, I mean it's possible to evolve a, a soap interface in a binary compatible way, mm -hmm. um, and we're going to get onto Rich's talk quite soon, aren't we? Because yeah, no. there's a lot of echoes. <laughs> it's in the air, so why not? Yeah, <laughs> but I mean these are these are really important ideas. And if you if you create a brittle interface as people do, where they say, right, you've got to call this URI and then you've got to call that URI and then you call this URI for doing <clears> this and this yeah. action, as soon as you make a change, you break everything. And you say, right, now everybody, you've got to upgrade. You've everyone's got to upgrade by Christmas because I'm going to turn off the old version and I'm, we're all going to move together at, as one to the next version. Mm. And the world just doesn't work like that because everybody has different deadlines and release schedules and, and stuff. You can't just demand that everybody upgrades. And yeah. I mean, that, is, that is the problem. Yeah. But it's also the problem, again, maybe I'm misunderstanding the problem, but some of the problems were that like SOAP added a whole load of like imperative verbs you know like a lot of the stuff that you did in the contract in soap was was essentially above and beyond the web itself it, it kind of went went over the top of of the web and had its own language essentially to specify contracts it didn't reuse the underlying infrastructure of HTTP where rest seems to want to do that so that seems to be a critical difference in my understanding anyway yeah, I, I, I think a critical, uh, another critical difference is that in SOAP, it isn't well defined what are, are mutable operations and what are mutable ones, at least right. in my understanding of SOAP. I mean, you can do anything, and yeah. that thing that you do could be idempotent, or it could be, mm -hmm. uh, it could, it could be side affecting, could launch missiles, or it might be mm. just getting the status of the missiles. And, yeah. and you know, that those, 
um, separating reads from writes is really really key because if you if you do that you can then uh, you can then cache your reads and you can scale your reads out um, if you know that you're dealing with immutable data then that's very good knowledge for a cache to have because mm. then they know that data is still valid well isn't it isn't it the fact that like if you use rest then you can use all of the like infrastructure of the web so all of these kind of caches you know if you set a not modified um or if you set a a, an expiry date on a resource to be a long-term future thing then all the kind of intermediary caches can can look after it and the browser knows about these things where in soap it's kind of it's an extra protocol essentially all of those kind of things are, are ignoring the fundamental like infrastructure of the internet yeah uh, of the web sorry yeah i i, I think so uh, in that people didn't write in hardware uh, proxy servers and things that would be would have knowledge of soap built in maybe because uh, i don't know enough about soap to know whether those um those qualities uh, of knowing when something is mutable or immutable or idempotent. I don't know whether that's a thing. In uh, and also the, the primary thing with SOAP is that you have the SOAP with RPC. That means, you know, everything is a remote procedure call. So you're, you're, you're calling functions. Yeah. And SOAP happens to be that you can have SOAP via SMTP or I don't know, any other protocol. And anyway, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, um, Stupid discussions to have now. Yeah. Well, I think the only, the only interesting part about so, it is that is that, or as far as I'm concerned, the interesting thing about it is that this this hypermedia as the yeah. engine of application state is is really kind of you know, the apotheosis of of REST, um, yeah. and yet it's 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 kind of seems to be a bit elusive at the moment. So, I, and we talked a little bit about that about the fact that maybe people. Or I don't know, fast food junkies. Uh, that they, <laughs> but but it, but it seems to me that I, I some. I just put this in the discussion. There was a there was a there was a guy called. I mean, you probably know this already, guys. But there's a Richardson's maturity model of rest. Mm-hmm. I don't know who this Richardson guy is actually. So maybe he's. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, as you can tell me, <laughs> but he is this bloke who t- says to everyone, "Oh yeah, okay, we've got this maturity thing," <laughs> and uh, I love the, I love the fact that the level zero I think is pox, which is a uh, uh, plain plain old XML. <laughs> pox is a great word for it, you know. <laughs> but um, but but uh, especially especially for the XML files are small. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But but I mean, what I was going to say was that like there has these level one, level two, level three uh, things, and as a colleague of mine uh, starts to write these in the APIs now, and, and essentially judges people's uh, judges people's APIs by their Richardson's maturity model. And that strikes me as a bit a bit harsh. But I, I don't know. What do you think about that, uh, Malcolm? Because I mean, where where are you supporting, or how are you evaluating those kind of things in Juxt or in Yada? Well, the one of the things that is making hypermedia elusive is we talked about that you know the, the ease of generating links because it is all about the links so that's number one so that's that's really something that we're trying to tackle with biddy number yeah. two is that you have to have an agreement between the client and between the server about where those links are or that the document has links and if it has links where are they and you have mm. to be a bit explicit about that if you have a a link in front of a, a human 
and you color it blue with an underline, they can see that it's a link and they can click on it. If you have, if you do the same for a machine, you've got to mark it. You've got to say this is the next chapter or the previous one, or you've got to have some convention about what next and previous means. Uh, if you name yeah. your links, and those conventions are meant to be encoded in what's called a, a media type, which is a document which explains what the contract is, and it, it it's a it's meant to be a document that you publish and you say, this is what media type is. This is the contract, version one of the contract. And then the clients then can code that contract. Um, and so they can be looking for these names. So even if you change the URIs, then there's a degree of, uh, it, the, the, there's a degree of flexibility. Um, your, your, API doesn't break just because you've changed the URIs because you've kept those link names the same. So it, as long as you have that media type agreed, you can then evolve it to, to, you can have a new media type called version two and version three and version four. And what you're meant to do is then decide, get, let the client and the server negotiate as to what version of the media type they've been coded against. So the, the server would typically, uh, it, it may support version one through version four. It may no longer support version one and, and a version one client would then not be serviced uh, mm -hmm. or a client might be coded to version three. And so they negotiate and say, oh, this is what I can read and this is what I can provide. And if they come to an agreement and they say, right, this is what we're going to talk. We're going to talk version three. And then the server produces version three of the data and the client then can, can read it because it's been coded by programmers who understand what the media type version three means. And so you need to have everything in place. You have to have pluggable media types. You have to have links and you have to have content negotiation for all of that to work. And when you've got that, then you have the ability to version and move and evolve services without breaking anybody. Uh, and yeah. I think that is the, that is the Holy grail. But what about these? Because I mean, uh, yeah, we, we looked at this with the media types, with uh, things like Atom and stuff like that. Because um, obviously, I think most people would like to use standard media types um, if they possibly can. Uh, I mean, JSON API, for example, is a, a kind of media type where there are well-known links. What kind of you know? What other examples would you maybe cite as uh, as those kind of like usable media types in the APIs in, in the kind of service interaction space? You know, I, 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 I really don't know that many. I mean, I, I, I want to get into that area, but right. I, you know, and uh, perhaps I'm explaining what you might do uh, coming up with your own media types. Right. And I'm sure there are good initiatives to, to, to create reusable media types that others can use. Um, but we're not just talking about JSON. We're talking no, about sure. something beyond that. Yeah. To say, well, this is in JSON, but that's just the format. The media type might say, well, it, it, it happens to be in JSON, but it, it's actually uh, a more specific declaration. Yeah. Well, I think the reason behind JSON API is just to sort of essentially assert some of these things. It's essentially to say, here are a bunch of, here's a, here's a media type, here is the kind of links it will provide, here is the kind of status codes we'll provide. You know, so so it's a kind. Of, although it happens to be using JSON, fine. You know, but there could be other, there could be other APIs like that. You know, and all this RAML and stuff like this. Yeah, like one of the 
maybe it's a bit of a digression, but one of digression the um, <laughs> of course, uh, I think that our entire podcast is a digression <laughs> anyway. Uh, so um, when when you're building REST API, so one of the biggest challenges is to uh, design the API or the URI structure in such a way that you can reach all possible resources properly. And um, especially when you have an object graph um, as a model, then um, it is very difficult to specify at what level I want the data to be fetched. Uh, for example, if you see um, the Jira, you know, the Jira uh, uh, bug management software, um, if they have some sort of a REST API, REST API so they have a hierarchy of objects they have projects and users and projects has issues and issue has more detail blah 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 something so it has always been a, a, like a contention point when i'm designing such a rest api to decide how much data to return and then how to give the control to the client to say uh, when you ask for a project what kind of fields that you're interested in let me know and then we are going to respond with the appropriate um, nested data structure right. that that they can use because otherwise, in just one query, they can get the entire data model. That's not going to be happy. You know, that's not going to make make their lives happy. And that the interesting development in that one was the GraphQL, right? So you 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 give a query. So what 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 is your opinion on this one? How does how how do you solve this kind of problem? Do you think GraphQL is one of the way to solve this, or yeah, am I, I so two points that yeah. um, designing an API where you list all the all of the different URIs, um, mm. that's frowned upon in REST. You're meant to mm. um, go to the only URI you really ideally have to know is the root URI, and from that mm. you get all the information about how what's available and how to navigate it. Um, and yeah. that means if you change your structure or you change your object graph, you're not mm. going to break a whole ton of clients. Mm. Um, a second, uh, the, the second thing is that. Uh, of course, a given URI can take query parameters. I mean, that's part of uh, yeah. what a URI is. And URIs are designed to take queries. Um, Google.com is a very good example. Yeah. So there's no, 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 nothing to stop you defining your query language in a media mm. type and saying, if, mm. you, if you send me a get with this type of query string, I'm going to yeah. send you that stuff. And that's not really... People think, well, that's you know, rest is dead because query strings are useful. But yeah, you know, we know query strings are useful, and and um, yeah. people should use them more. Yeah, so it's not it's not a uh, competing thing, but it is complementing uh, rest way of looking at the things. Yeah, I think I, I think what it competes against yeah. is the practice of defining all of your different URIs that are yeah. reachable and uh, providing those up front in a document, mm -hmm. which is kind of what Swagger does. And the the mm. other one of those was uh, from uh, our good friends at uh, IBM and uh, SAP and Microsoft, wasn't it? The OData standard. Mm. They, they allowed you, in your query strings, they allowed you to filter the, uh, filter the objects and for ser to search for objects. So they yeah. gave you a kind of query language on the front end. But the, the problem with that was that actually it wasn't discoverable. The, the vocabulary mm. wasn't discoverable. Mm. But, but I don't know how you... Mm. On the other hand, OData is a published standard, so you could discover it by reading the standard. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's things 
either are either discoverable or they're written up in a document in a media type. And between those two things, uh, you have REST. So mm. I, I think as long as OData says this is the syntax and this is these are the things that you can query for, then that should be enough. Yep. Okay. Uh, right. So <laughs> I think this has been a, a really good discussion of the various bits and pieces around that. Um, what I was going to ask you about next was this uh, something we're interested in, actually. It's kind of like uh, this query thing um, is the um, the server sent events aspect of, of Yado. And it's something which uh, which I've been playing with a little bit recently with Kafka, um, yeah. hooking up um, Kafka topics and then essentially publishing it out for given clients. And... Um, it was really weird because you know I only found out about SSE I don't know maybe it's a year eighteen months ago, and yet they've been here around for quite a long time. It's got a hiding in plain sight this kind of model for notifying the um, the clients. Uh, I don't know. You guys at Yada support them. Do do you see a lot of use for them um, in your work, or um, is it still kind of coming? No, I think it. Uh, well, SSE has been around for. For years and years and years, yeah, it just yeah. hasn't, you know, and it, it's been part of the HTML5 set of standards. And it's an event source, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it, it, it's kind of taken a backseat to WebSockets because WebSockets right. used to have all the media attention and people will use WebSockets for stuff. Um, but then, of course, you have to reinvent your own security and uh, cookies and all of the kind of um, security, uh, like, uh, cross-origin resource sharing and all that all that sort of stuff that's been built on top of that safety net that's been built on top of HTTP, you yeah. then lose as soon as you upgrade uh, to, well, you upgrade to a different protocol. Mm. Uh, so people... Yeah, that's just TCP IP basically, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and people mm. labored under the kind of uh, misapprehension that the only way of doing uh, notification was WebSockets. Um, yeah. But there's this kind of small thing, server sent events, really simple, doesn't take up a lot mm. of documentation to explain it. Um, mm. And now it's pretty much available everywhere. And even in old browsers, you can get polyfills that, that mm. essentially give you that JavaScript event source. Uh, yeah. And then, of course, you get all of the benefits of the security, and the cookie passing authorization headers are passed and, and that stuff. Mm. It's yeah. not perfect, but it, it, it does the job. And if you don't, if you only need, if you're not writing a game on the web, but you don't need that that really, really low latency, then it's it's good enough. And I think it can make some really nice websites with interaction. And well, you see it everywhere. I mean, when you close mm. an issue and push it on GitHub and you're looking at that issue, you can see it close in front of your eyes. It's a nice, yeah. Uh, yeah. nice experience. I think the difference is if I'm, if I'm not wrong, is that like WebSockets are bi-directional and SSE is unidirectional. In other words, it's just only from the server to the client. Yeah, um, but you've already got the other direction because you've got post. So you yeah, don't exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Oh. Yeah, so <laughs> so screw you, <laughs> WebSockets. <laughs> yeah, don't do it. Yeah, I think the security thing is pretty awesome. Talking of security, actually, um, this is something that I, I, I uh, when I was reading the documentation of Yadda, I found very interesting, which was that you 
you say that security is uh, part of the resource, not part of the URL. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk a bit more about that? Yeah, it's just Don't the way say that no. most. <laughs> well, <laughs> I guess a lot of it is kind of post facto justification for the way things are, and I can't say it. But but really, the there's a lot in the HTTP specifications about security, multiple realms, and different authentication schemes and, and stuff. And it's it all applies to uh, a given web resource. And yeah. the specs just assume you just have this one web resource. But of course, they know you're going to have many. And the way that we group web resources in most web frameworks is we group them with a single URI scheme. Mm. And I guess that I don't know, I can't, what can I say? Enta what do we say? Braids? Entangles? <laughs> mixes uh, it. Yeah, mixes <laughs> it. So, so you can yeah. only really have one hierarchy of security. If you've, if you've welded it to your URI scheme, then yeah. you lose, you, you're, you've got that instantly, you've got that parallel hierarchy. Mm. So security might be, it, it might be in certain circumstances that you want to create different types of groups or you might want to do security based on not on the uri but on something about the the user's credentials or something about the you know uh, you know the um the type of web resource it is so i think any any time that you look to create groups of resources simply through the uri you lose the opportunity to create richer divisions and and uh, and, and different categorization schemes and different hierarchies so if we separate those two and say the uri is the uri leave it alone and then you define a different hierarchy for security so we do this in, in yada by uh you can tag resources and say uh this is private or this is this can only be accessed by frank or whatever you put that in mm -hmm. the metadata and mm -hmm. then what i tend to use is postwalk which is Stuart sierra's library and closure core and you can once you've got all of your web resources in a data structure, you can you can then walk the tree and then look at every web resource in turn and say, oh, it's got this tag called Frank or it's got this thing, and I'm going to then add in my security policy for that thing. So it gives you more flexibility, uh, which which may be valuable. Yeah, because I think the classic one is where you have this uh, URL that starts with slash admin. You yeah, know, and what's the difference between the slash admin view of a page and the normal user's view of a page? Actually, pretty zero. Yeah. Except you might want to you might want to sprinkle in a few menu items or something, but that's kind of annoying. Mm -hmm. That essentially you have the same actual resource, you yeah. just have a slightly different view of it. And it shouldn't really be through the URL that you express that. Oh, yeah. exactly. That, that that might be you. You end up with a parallel hierarchy yeah. just because you need that bit being protected and that bit not being. And it, actually, the protection should be something about the client's credentials, not not part of the URI, but part of the uh, what request headers are being sent. Hmm. Hmm. And that probably again comes back to how people make routing complicated because they have this parallel hierarchy. Hmm. Yeah. Um, Okay, cool. What about other like uh, authentication schemes like OAuth two and stuff like that? Does does Yada um, yeah have support has, for those kind of things? It it does. It's quite hard to find. 
but it's right. in there. <laughs> <laughs> we use it on the website. It's an exercise yeah. for the reader. <laughs> it is an exercise for the reader. Well, it's an exercise for me to document it, and I am, okay. uh, you know, it, it is very high on my to-do list. Um, people have asked about JWT and, mm. and, and uh, other authentication schemes, and JWT is part of OAuth 2, I mean, part of the implementation of OAuth 2, and Yada is using JWT, and OAuth 2 is quite easy, and we have we have it working. We have a login in our own website where we can log in with a, a Google credential or a, a GitHub credential. Right. And, what, and we just let kind of if people are in the jobs to your organization. They get a, a login automatically and they can log in with their GitHub. So um, that's much better than holding databases of passwords. Right. So you yeah. just, yeah. Yep. All right. Okay. So well, I think we've done a good job there. I mean, um, I'm just wondering whether there's anything else, um, in the current instance of Yada that, that we've missed, Malcolm, that you want to... Uh, there's quite a lot more, a but uh, th there is a lot in there. And, yeah. uh, and partly that's because I'm really trying to implement all of the, the specification, regardless of mm. whether people want it or not. So one of the things <laughs> I'm working on is uh, something called reactive uh, negotiation. Okay. So there's, when you do content negotiation, there's two types. There's proactive, which is where the client says, these are the kind of things I can I can deal with. And the server says, well, I just pick one, right? There you are. And reactive negotiation is when the client goes to the server and the server just sets out its stall and says, these are all the stuff I've got. These are all the different right. types of uh, representations I've got for this resource. Which one do you want? And the client will say, oh, I'll have that one. And that's quite a, that's quite a nice... Uh, it, it, there's definitely I, I can see some circumstances that would be useful so uh, I'd like to implement it uh, so that, uh, there's a thing on range requests and partials that I don't implement in Yada and I'd like to um, not many people use range requests but you know because it's in the spec it's kind of fun to you know not really worry about the fact that people don't want it you know, it, you know, I don't have, yeah. you know, anybody sitting me sitting at me. I don't have a manager with the other telling me I've got to do this, got to do that. I, I just the spec is my manager, really. That's kind of, <laughs> right. I, you know, and I'm I'm invested in this for years. I, I mean, I want to carry on working on the other for many years, and so you know, it, it, it's one. Sometimes you say, well, I just don't have time to implement it all. But actually, you know, we've all got forever. You you just have to think in another dimension and just say, well, as long as I keep tapping away for the rest of time, then eventually I'm going to get around to it. So, yeah. And are there other people working on it, Malcolm, or is it, is it just a, a Malcolm Sparks labor of love, or have you, have you got contributors um, adding stuff to, to Yadda as well? Well, not not really invited, but there is yeah, 26 contributors in the, uh, yeah. in the project. So, you know, not a huge number, but yeah. there have yeah. been some, there have been some amazing contributions that have, there was one contribution uh, that in improved performance in one aspect of Yada by a hundred times, which was Ooh, incredible. Wow. So, you know, and there, there have been others like that, and, and there's been transit support added, and you know, I, I mean, I should acknowledge all these people. I, I, I do try to acknowledge everybody who's kind of made major contributions on the readme, and there's there's quite yeah, a yeah. long list. Yeah. All right. Cool. Okay. So. We did something new uh, for the show. Usually, we don't pre-announce who you know uh, when we are recording, uh, but we did uh, this today, and uh, we asked uh, 
the internet to come up with questions and to our uh, surprise and merriment uh, we have at least uh, three uh, three questions from uh, different channels so here is one i really feel like we are we are, we are like like legitimate show now it's like okay i'm going to open the our audience from south africa mr robert stutterford is on friend of the show <laughs> <laughs> friend of the show <laughs> so anyway so his question is um at, at jext how do you how do you hire closure developers do you train them up or do you hire seasoned professionals or if you give if you train them how does the training look like yeah. hello rob <laughs> well what does the training look like yeah we do we do both so we hire mm. seasoned pros uh, if we've got um projects ongoing and we need help um so yeah. we have a whole network of people that we can call upon yeah. some of whom are available at any given time and, and that's really great and we've worked with them before a lot of them and we we know uh, we do have quite a quite hard kind of vetting process for people mm. that to to join in existing projects but we also we also take on new people who, who don't know closure mm. and train them up by well we often i think the first thing we do is put them on our website and so our website is kind of the project where people can make their mistakes because it doesn't matter and um, or yeah. we can clean it up or stuff so that's one way um mm. and another one uh is to get them to you know to, to join a, a, a either an internal project or a, a project where we we do we do some projects where we deliver and develop the whole system and they're ongoing we support and maintain them so we get people to maintain them for a, for a period of time and you know people pick up closure pretty quickly mm. okay so uh speaking of your website there is another question from slack from ann montero uh so he was uh, asking well not exactly a question but i'd love if the show touched a little on malcolm stock at close tray in uh, finland uh what they are doing with jext for their website yeah yeah so what so, is a uh, closure tray i explained that we use this library called skippy mcskipface in our in our library <laughs> in our in our website and what what <laughs> yeah. skippy does is um it, there's a whole bunch of state in our website there's there's um markdown articles that we have our, for our blog mm. and there's config and there's closure mm. code and there's some ascii doc and there's some html mm -hmm. and there's some sas for css and there's a whole bunch of stuff and you can create a whole graph uh, mm -hmm. and then what happens is when a, a request comes in we we check that that graph is fresh so that that whole graph is in this dereffable thing the root of this graph is dereffable so when the request comes in we do ref that graph and that mm -hmm. freshens the whole lot. So if if a file is then noticed as being the date on a file looks like that it's changed, it's a blog article that somebody's edited, then the system knows that it has to reparse that markdown and it might have to turn it into HTML. And that it might be that the title of the markdown has changed, the title of the blog article has changed, and so it then has to update the the blog index. And so you know it might have to change the menu page. And that bubbles up all the way to the top. So that's one part of it. And it means that every request comes in, they do a, a, quite a fast refresh, um, which is optimized. And they then get a single view of state. It's a sort of, it's um, 
it, it, it's uh, DREFed, very much like you mm-hmm. do in ClojureScript. You DREF an atom and you get this kind of yeah, single yeah. view state. We tried, yeah. tried doing that on the server. And also we have another thing called push to deploy where we, we push to a, a Git repository, which has a, it on our server. And it's a working tree that's expanded. And we, we do this little Git config thing where uh, it updates the working tree. So because we're running the web site on that working tree, then every time we push something, then it makes a live change to the website. So as soon as somebody visits the website, they might see a slight delay. And then there are these uh, watches that are mm-hmm. looking for changes, uh, and they're tied up to the Java 7 file watching service so that they're um, uh, being notified by the file system if anything has changed so that they can, in the background, try and update this, uh, freshen this big state graph. So that all of those concepts are there to try to build a, a system which is very much like a REPL, where you don't deploy it. Everything's deployed all the time. So it's continuously integrated all the time. There are no builds. You just make a change, and it's uh, instantly visible. And, and so we develop on it as well. We have a beta website, and you, you can push yeah. stuff, and you get that REPL-like experience. Yeah. Yeah, uh, ClojureScript too. Uh, we've got our own ticketing system for XC16, mm-hmm. and you know we've got ClojureScript and payments and all kinds mm-hmm. of stuff in the website. It, I mean, it's a really, really kind of like lots and lots of commits. Really old. We've had it right. We, we the the history of the website is the history of Jux. And we've had it from day one, and it's yeah. it's just it's one of those things with so much technical debt. But then so much refactoring and getting out of digging out of the technical yeah. debt, and it, it's a good. Uh, experiment to see how mucky a closure project can get and how much you can kind of clean it up and, and keep it going, yeah. which is really what most systems are. You know, at the end of the day, yeah, you yeah. can't really keep out of technical debt. So it's an interesting experiment how good closure is at getting mucky. Yeah. So is it like you, no. you basically use like Git as the CMS? Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you push Thanks. and then that's it. That's that's gone live. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's why we have a beta. Although of course, you can then. Unpush. You can always go back to yeah, a working sure, commit. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, uh, final question from the community then, uh, Sean Mahood from Slack. So he's asking, did he, did you look? Well, I'll just read the question. Question from Malcolm: Has he looked at spec much? And if so, does he have any thoughts on how things would change in Yada if Yada were to replace schema with spec? Yeah, I have had a look at spec, and I've been working on a branch for some time about how I would do Yada with spec rather than schema. And some yeah. things definitely do change. Um, mm. But uh, I still like the aspect of Yada where you can write uh, data structures that are in shorthand. Um, mm. We call this data macros, where you write them in a shorthand, uh, and then they get expanded to what would be a canonical form. So that, yep. that so that Yada only has to worry about one canonical form of the resource and not all these different variations. But the canonical form is a real pig to author, so it's nice to have these short forms. Uh, and I I think that that aspect of Yada will be uh, replaced by something that will just do a tree walk with post walk and and expand it that way and and stay out of spec. Uh, I know there's conformers and stuff in spec. I try to emulate the same thing but uh, it gets difficult and i i don't want to braid the two ideas together so hmm. um uh, but yeah it, it, it's 
there are quite a lot of things that I would like to put spec into. The request context, for example, doesn't have a schema behind it. And I'd like to define, uh, I'd like to get every interceptor to define what they need out of the resource rather than having one big spec. Like I have one big schema for Yada at the moment and it doesn't feel very modular. And I don't think it really accords to what Rich is saying about Mm. what spec should be used for. And I, I think spec is about declaring the requirements that you have as a piece of code on a yep. on a structure rather than pushing. It's, it's really a pool-based thing rather than pushing. So I'd like mm-hmm. each interceptor to say that these are the requirements that I have uh, are on the resource model and for mm-hmm. that alone to be enough. So there's quite a lot of experimentation to do and I'm definitely not going to experiment in the, the master branch. So mm-hmm. I'm just playing around. But the, definitely I want to figure out how to do it before I before I go live with it. Uh, and that might be sometime next year. Okay. I noticed as well that like when I was doing the resources that you essentially, you kind of provide, you, you, you're asked to provide a schema you yeah. know, for, for each of the items. So if, uh, like you've got uh, ID one, ID two, they're both, str- you know, you have to specify that they're both right. a string. So is that an area where also like the, <clears throat> the, the surface of, of Yada might change a little bit, yeah. whereas, you could be asked to provide a spec rather than a schema. Yeah, definitely. That's the other usage of of schema, which is much more uh, in the domain of... uh, So I was just talking to my own internal use of schema in Yada. But yeah, of course, for all the swagger properties and the swagger spec generation, uh, then that's all in schema right now. And uh, Tommy Riemann and uh, others in medicine and that community in Ring Swagger have definitely made big inroads in turning, uh, creating a spec version of that. And uh, I was talking to Tommy a couple of months ago in, in Closure uh, about how that was going, and it, it's definitely um, it's definitely possible. So, so that will, uh, you know, I'll have a look at that. But I, at the moment, I'm trying to separate, I clean up the other a bit and separate the dependency graph. It's got a very big dependency graph at the moment, and it's much too big. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff like JSON and, and uh, Swagger and stuff that, that are in the core. And mm-hmm. I'd like to sort of tease, tease Yada apart, make it kind of uh, untangle a few things. So I'm, I'm doing a lot of cleanup. There's a lot of code in there that's sort of a bit old and needs a bit of a review. So I'm on quite a bit of a cleanup exercise and doing more documentation and trying to make Yada much easier for people to use. Uh, you know, looking at the code myself, there's, there's bits of it that I just think this needs needs some work. So yep. um, yeah, onwards and forwards. But um, okay. if, if we were going to shout out to the community, then maybe these, uh, you know documentation pull requests or other kind of cleanup pull requests might be welcome. Well, actually, I, you know, I, I find it's quite it's quite good just looking at what people are moaning about on Slack, and right, okay. and, when, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's that's often yeah. often an indication of where the you know Yada had a really busy year of development uh, last year, and then this year I mostly tidied it up and got to one point one, and then uh, been playing with and using it on projects and seeing how how people have. Uh, implemented it and seeing kind of what has come out of the trenches and, and what people yeah, find difficult yeah. and so I've kind of slowed down development and just sort of gone into listening mode and watching and, and seeing yeah, where things yeah. are happening so I'm, I'm picking up on that but I you know I don't really I, I don't really need 
feel the need to sort of ask people to write my documentation for me or, or that sort of thing. I, I think right. what, okay. the level of community interaction and the raising issues and just the, you know being patient with me while I, st- I think about stuff, I, I'm still in the mode of having to try and solve a lot of the problems in, you know, in parallel. So I'm not racing ahead. And so there's a lot of issues that I haven't touched and I, I know about, but I just haven't fixed. And I just kind of need the community to bear with me. Yeah. Well, we, I think we will for sure, because it's already <laughs> it's already a very, very uh, useful and, and fantastic um, framework. You know, I, I've done some yeah. stuff with it recently and I was very impressed. So, so I think you've done a great job, Malcolm. So yeah. kudos to you. Hat tip. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But I think we and should. I think, I think we should maybe start to wind it up a little bit, VJ. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, um, of course. Thanks a lot to Malcolm, uh, to you, you know, to to take the time on Sunday evening and uh, walking all the way to your office and spending time <laughs> with us. Uh, before we wrap up the show, of course, we we want to uh, touch upon a couple of important things. Um, first, uh, first of all, um, as as people in the closure community might have heard. Uh, Anthony Grimes, uh, who is known as uh, Rains or IO Rain on uh, on IRC, has passed away, uh, which is a pretty um, uh, pretty sad uh, news for the community. Yeah. Um, I think he has been. Uh, I, I well, I haven't met him, but um, uh, I was on IRC most of the time when he was on IRC in the early days of closure, and he was also the guy who made uh, tri closure. And he was also the yeah. one who made LazyBot on IRC, so you could actually, you know, try out Closure Code uh, IRC bot. And um, when I when I heard the news, I was looking at all my Closure Code and grabbing for Rains, you know, IO dot Rain. Yeah. There's plenty of libraries. Uh, <clears throat> uh, I was just looking at the GitHub, and there, there are 45, uh, 45 Closure projects that he made. Um, some of them probably everybody is using these days. So. Uh, well, uh, the, the code lives on, I think. Um, it's, it's a hard time. And uh, there has been a GoFundMe campaign uh, uh, for, for helping out his family. And um, uh, I think uh, Chas Emmerich is, is leading a sort of an online a memoriam or something, memorial service or yeah. something for him. I think so, the GoFundMe um, thing was very well supported, actually. I had a look at yeah, the other yeah. day. And, um, yeah. So I think his family will be able to, because I think there was a problem yeah. getting him back home or something. So that, yeah, that's, exactly. that should be covered, which is, yeah. which is great. Yeah, great for the yeah. family, I think. But um, so, yeah, very uh, early, uh, very young man. And yeah. so it's, you know, it's very tragic for him and his family. That's for sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, like every now and then, life gives you some sort of a perspective on what is important, you know. Yeah. So that's uh, that's uh, uh, so that's uh, uh, very um, heavy news. Um, on the interesting, uh, well, less heavy news, <laughs> I would say. Uh, so we had closure conch and closure conch videos are up. Uh, we are still uh, going through the things. I think Ray, you already started looking into the videos now, a bit. Um, um, and a little bit. I mean, obviously, I think we probably all watched the uh, the rich talk about um, about versioning and being nice to being nice to clients and not and basically saying that Semver was you know flamed. Um, you know, <laughs> you, because if if you have a minor or a, a patch version, well, nothing changes. Yeah. So what's the point? Yeah. If you have a major yeah. version, then you're basically an asshole. So don't do that. <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's my TLDR, anyway. Okay, I think one of the joke was Semwar has a version. 
the the, oh, yeah, yeah. the semantic versioning has a versioning thing. I don't know what that means anymore. So it was interesting. But anyway, uh, I think we'll we'll go through the stuff. And uh, the other interesting news is that uh, the Datomic uh, licensing model has changed, and uh, there has been uh, much. Um, uh, merriment and joy in the, in the community i think <laughs> uh, but there is no free datomic licenses or of course if you, you can download datomic and you get it for perpetually on the same version or something so there are more details to it on on the blog post by the no, guys i think it is free still i think the the, the, yeah. the only limitation was that the starter kit used to be renewable every year but now it's they're yeah, limiting but it now to it's one just year the same. Yeah. yeah but, exactly. but otherwise it's yeah. still an, it's still an awesome thing the thing i didn't realize exactly. as well is that they have a new client as well it's only oh, an alpha okay. stage, but they have a new client mm -hmm. library, which is meant to be a lot simpler to use than the um, than the peer library. So, yeah. so we'll see how that works out as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, as far as the conj videos are concerned, the, the, I want to call out one more thing actually that I've I've watched, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. which was this proto repl. That was goddamn mm -hmm. phenomenal. Um, mm -hmm. This guy's done a really great job. Uh, we're just at the beginning of it now, but. Um, very, you can make a lot of very visual um, stuff, and he used another project that was at, in one of the talks called Said, which allows yep. you to have tracing. And so it was very, very interesting how you know his work and I can't remember the other guy's name, unfortunately, but their their work mm -hmm. combined will will give you a lot more visibility into um, into your closure code and a lot more power okay. when you're editing it as well. Um, so although it's a REPL, it's actually built on Atom. So if you if you edit your yeah, closure yeah. in in Atom, then you can mm -hmm. kind of have this REPL, and it's it's very very inter you know much more visually interactive than than typical REPLs. So yeah, very very interesting stuff. Okay. But I think, like you say, we'll probably pick up with um, more videos as we go through them in the coming weeks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, of course, and and we'll uh, we'll go through the videos, and um, we will update um, our audiences, and then help them in picking which videos they must watch and which videos they should watch. <laughs> and uh, well, that's the two categories. That's it. So, <laughs> and uh, of course, there are a couple of um, uh, events that are coming up. So there is a closure D uh, that is going to be in February, and um, the other event, which is I think much more. Um, uh, which, which has more, <laughs> more gravitas in, in, in our, at least in our podcast and as well as for me, uh, it's a Dutch closure day, which is going to happen in, uh, in Amsterdam in March on, on the March 25th, um, 2017. Uh, we just started, um, uh, the necessary preparations. It's going to be a free event, just like the previous one. That means we, uh, I'm going to spam everybody who says closure anywhere, uh, for sponsorships. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Last time we did the same thing because we want to make sure that this this is a community-driven um, uh, event. Uh, so it's only by donations, by the sponsorship uh, that, that we were able to pull off last time. And also Dutch Closure Day 2016 was the reason why Defen Podcast exists. So yeah. we started the discussion on, uh, on 2016 when, when Ray was there. So who knows, you know, uh, this year you might have another podcast or something else or we never know. And the call for proposals is open. So um, we'll put a link in the in the show notes. So please take a look at it and uh, submit your talk. Um, it, it, it's going to be another amazing day that uh, we, we want to plan. And uh, if you know anybody who wants to sponsor this event, uh, let us know or at least let me know. Uh, tweet me up. Uh, I would uh, I'd like to talk to you. Uh, that's that's it uh, for the events, I think. Yeah. Um, anything else that we missed? No, uh, I don't think so. I think we just uh, just 
say thank you to Malcolm again. Yeah. Let me just quickly thank you, say, and, say yeah. thank you to the people that help us produce the show as well. Um, yes. We have uh, Pizzeri doing um, the intro-outro music with his Melon Hamburger. So if you can look at his SoundCloud, that would be very good. Um, we have uh, the the logo was produced by Lubov Sultan, and we provide some information about the work that she's doing. She's a freelance designer as well, so if you want some great work from her, then hit her up on Twitter. And yep. we have a, a friend of mine, Wouter, who's helping with the mixing and fixing of the audio, so thank you very much. So, yep. so those are the ragtag traveling thespians who help us... <laughs> <laughs> to help us, uh, you know, basically. All, all respect to those people, VJ. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Christ, I'll cut no, that we, out. We, we, can, <laughs> we, can, we can insult each other, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> all right, anyway, let's, so, let's, let's stop. Let's stop. Let's stop. Ma- Malcolm, thank you very, very much. It was thank a you really much awesome for your time. talk, really fantastic. Thank you very much. Enjoy of being here. Yeah. Thank you.